0: Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Dave Thompson. Dave is the founder and CEO of Thompson Investing. He has strong experiences in commercial real estate investing, focusing on syndication partnerships in multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, and other alternative assets. His primary focus is raising capital to support operators in these niches while educating investors about the opportunities to diversify their portfolios. Currently, he is involved as a general partner in over 35 current deals and over 6,000 apartment units across the country. So we are really excited to have you on the show today, Dave. You have a huge extensive background, and so I know there's going to be a ton of things that we can learn from you. So welcome to the show.
1: Well, I'm excited to be here, Eileen. I appreciate you having me and uh, interested in sharing ideas, and uh, hopefully, well, something. There's a nugget or two out there that will uh, get the audience uh, interested in and uh, in, in further progression down whatever road they're seeking. and uh, It's capital raising or investing, whatever. But uh, anyway, I'm excited to be here. Thank
0: you. So, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, and if you can share, how did you get started in real estate?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, for your listeners, you can start anytime, right? So, uh, I, I pursued after graduate school. I pursued a corporate. Oh, the world for about 20 years, high tech business, and uh, I enjoyed those roles and everything. But I had an undergraduate degree in financial planning, and I really was interested always in investing and, and educating people. I chose the corporate route. We had a big recession at the time. Here I am, you know, 21 year old, 21 years old, coming out of college, and uh, didn't know anybody with money. And I ended up understanding that was more an entrepreneurial path, and maybe not a good time in life to, to be around people and share those ideas. So I, I took the corporate route and, and got. Uh, into business. Uh, but uh, along the way, I started being interested in real estate, probably around 2000. I live in Austin, Texas. So around 2011, 2012 was a great time looking back to start purchasing some single family homes. And I pursued that with my wife for about a few years. I've got a handful of properties here in Austin and they're doing well, but they weren't really thinking it wasn't like really to get me to leaving in corporate America. And I was really starting to get itchy about getting more involved in investing. And I was like, okay, the houses are getting more expensive cash flow is not as great as it was in 2012. So I'm like, this is going to be a kind of 30 year long process. And that's not going to get me where I want to go. So uh, I was fortunate about 2015. I know we talked earlier before the show, I ran into uh, my first mentor at the time, which was Joe Fairless. And Joe uh, was just starting kind of his mentoring program. And he had a company with his partner, uh, Frank Rossler with Ashcroft. And they were they had just had a, a couple of apartments in Houston and uh I was living in Austin, so I was like, hey, you're, you're, you know, he was in Cincinnati, I think, when I first met him. <laughs> was I was like, OK, what, what are you doing in Texas? And your partner wasn't even there. But anyway, uh, they had a big focus in Dallas ever since. But I, I just hooked up with him after a couple months of taking his mentorship. And I just asked him this question, which I think is always a great question to ask anybody if you're being a partner or mentor. You know, How can I help you? And be sincere about it. And at the time, uh, Joe needed capital for these deals. And I got into my first deal in Dallas, Texas, spring of 2016. And he said, you know, you probably have some people that you know that uh, might be interested in these types of deals. And the uh, next thing you know, I was able to raise like a million bucks on the first deal. And, and I was off to the races. They proceeded. Uh, after that, they decided to do a lot more deals. So I was getting involved with them. I saw my investor base grow. And before long, I was like, I guess I'm in the syndication business. I'm part of a partnership. I have a key role and I'm having a ball. And I left my the corporate world uh, almost soon thereafter. And it's just a wonderful business. I'd love to share anything that you might have to ask me about <laughs> The flexibility and the freedom of having your own business is always fantastic. Doing real estate that most people in your listeners are listening to you, Eileen, they're interested in real estate. And so I love talking to people who are interested in real estate. And then most importantly, the things, it works. It works. I'm looking at these deals and the things I'm involved with is paying me income. I'm getting these great tax benefits and... What I love about it the most is when I talk to people, so many people don't know about it. Mm-hmm. So many people just don't know what's available to them. Or So that's my role. I educate people and then I just find great partnerships. Mm-hmm. Ashcroft today is, is one of my biggest uh, partners and we continue to deal with them. But I've also, with my financial planning hat on, realized that not everybody wanted to be in Dallas, Texas in the apartments, no matter how great Ashcroft looked. We want to be with other operators, maybe in different markets. And I've also branched out into... You know, self-storage, mobile Home Park. So I'll stop there before I get too far out there.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Dave. No, I loved your background. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was you raised a million dollars on your first deal. Some people can't even raise like a hundred thousand dollars. So can you walk us through that step and like, what was the process and how did you have the confidence to be able to even raise that much?
1: Well, that's great and we'll get to it I know we talked uh, before the show kind of what uh, tools or anything else I can share I do have this is interesting Joe was a big focus on this with me early on and I continue to educate other capital raisers on it is a concept called thought leadership now you don't raise a million dollars on your first deal with thought leadership right because that comes over time that's basically developing content doing a podcast like you Eileen or doing a blog and but that takes time. But over time, thought leadership is, I consider, the g- holy grail of capital raising. That That's going to get the new people in. And in the beginning, though, you really have to just kind of, it's like, I don't know if you've ever done a network marketing thing. It's kind of goofy. You know, it's like, who do you know we can sell this product to? <laughs> you know? so if you, I think you have a list of, most people probably have a list of maybe 50 people that they know. Maybe it's 100. I, I tell capital raisers, if you had kind of like uh, 50 don't be discouraged or less than that. Don't be discouraged. You know, if you love it, you'll get there. Hundreds really a nice place to start. And of those hundred, I don't think like 125 people that I thought might be accredited or might like real estate. You know, my kids were playing sports, and so I was thinking about parents I met through that. It wasn't like going to the country club. I really that's not my market. It's really dual income people or busy people or like real estate. But anyway, I got 13 people out of that list of 125. And I had sent them kind of an introductory, hey, you know me by X this way, very simple. But it was like, hey, I'm doing real estate, a passion for it for a long time. And I'd have them click on a link that went to my website that said the link was, you know, why I like top five reasons why I like apartments, just to get them to my website. So it was kind of a little easy little email. I'm sure most people just trashed it. But a lot of people were like, okay, I kind of know Dave, what's he doing? I'm kind of intrigued. Go to that article and then they go to a website that you know it's kind of your storefront people can understand what he's trying to do but 13 people it wasn't like a smooth ride there was the first person i met said i'm in for 500 I holy cow oh joe i'm like this is the easiest business in the world you know where's the next deal uh that person ended up dropping completely out just like you know so i've got tips on that if you have a big kind of a big investor how to handle that i, I would never take a soft commitment for a big amount, maybe a small amount. Put a little bit on the side, so if they drop out, it's not a, it doesn't blow a hole in the whole project. But essentially, it's starting with people that you know, that know you, because it's a trusting business, right? I've never cold calling anybody in my life. I don't think anybody really does it in that business that, that way. There are stock that kind of do that, but I just never thought that was the way to do it. And but anyway, over time, cut to the chase. Over time, if you stay with it long enough, and you're with good partners, and you're putting people in good deals. of my investors today on a given deal, if we're raising maybe two, three, five million, 90% of those people are return investors or referrals. And referrals are wonderful, right? They're already, the person's probably already interested. They talk to their friend or they've had success with you. So this business gets tremendously easier down the road. It's that first couple of deals, that first year or so, and in between your initial list, Eileen, and that. You know Nirvana, where you're only only ten percent of the people are brand new to you, is this thing around thought leadership, and that's all about exactly what you're doing, which is awesome. You're edu- you're bringing people on and you're educating your community, and then you're not charging anybody for it, so it's free. It's high quality, and if you do it right consistently, you're going to have people wanting to come back to whatever you're doing. And it, this morning. Had a guy on bigger pockets, You're probably familiar with bigger pockets. Read some article. I, I posted a blog up there like three years ago. And he's just flipping through. This is an article on 1031 Exchanges. And I'm like, I don't want to go to that. Right. I hope it's still relevant. But we led to a conversation. Now he's you know he's interested in investors. So the beauty of thought leadership is whatever you create stays out there. It stays out there. And so I get a lot of people, you, know, you don't have to be like, it's not Instagram, right? It's is stuff that stays out in cyberspace and you do good quality work. It accumulates over time and it's a great business. But that's how I started. Just I teach people. It's, it's really just, it's kind of crazy, right? You raise all this money, but it's like it's so basic. It's just get a spreadsheet of people, you know, start there. If you only raise 200,000 or 50,000, don't get discouraged. If you've got one investor. You have four investors. One or two of those will come back. And you add a few more and it just snowballs, right? It just snowballs.
0: No, absolutely. Thank you. And especially, you know, when you see people raising a ton of money, it's like this giant mountain that you're trying to climb. But then yeah. if you kind of look at starting from the beginning and just slowly building it up and just yeah. like what you mentioned, consistent action, you know, eventually over time, you'll be able to get there, but you just have to chip away at it little by little. That's
1: it. That's it. And you'll, you'll find if you, uh, this is interesting to me because after, you know, a, a long stint in the corporate world, I, I love the people I work with. I travel all over the world. We have really interesting projects, but deep down, I wasn't like waking up Monday morning, like, man, this is like fantastic. I, I can't wait to share what I'm doing with other people. And, you know, when you have your own business, it, there is more demands, more responsibilities, but. That all gets kind of, that all is like easy to get through when you get up and you're excited about what you're doing. And it's cliche, everybody says it, but uh, I finally found it and it took a while to find. So the other message here is don't ever give up. You know, I'm a, I didn't find it. When, I kind of found it when I was 18, 20. I, you know, I, I got a degree in financial planning, so I knew I liked it, but I kind of did that all on the side. If my, I had any regrets at all, I wish maybe I would have thought a little earlier about pursuing, if I knew kind of what I love, just Heck, I've worked you know, three jobs and continue to do what I love, right? Instead of just going off on this other path because it didn't work. So when you find your passion and you're starting out building a capital-raising business around syndication, if you love investing in real estate, if you love talking to people, I meet mean, a lot of people like teachers or there's a lot of natural teachers in us. And we want to help and we want to share. And not everybody is super analytical and wants to go find deals and, and compete and negotiate. And, and some people's personality isn't for that. What I found is I could have a super role and really be helpful to a partnership syndication team and be super helpful to investors. So I'm fulfilling like two wonderful roles. I'm helping this group over here get their deals done and I'm investing in those deals. I'm seeing them work and I'm sharing that with others and it's a beautiful business. And the other message here is there's so many ways you can work on a syndication team or get into real estate and help and then you can create a business out of that right? You don't have to know everything, do everything. If I see people struggle, it's a couple of different things. One, they're not finding good partners and mentors. They're just trying to do it on their own, trying to save money or try to save whatever. It ends up not working. And then once you have a bad reputation or something didn't work out, it's hard to get those investors you know, back to thinking you know what you're talking about. So, always, number one, be like partner with experts, get good people around you, do deals with people who know the heck what they're doing carve out a little role to help them. And then and then, then you build on that reputation until you have your reputation. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. No, I definitely agree with the surrounding yourself with great experts and um, like-minded people to make sure yeah. that, you know, you're, you're consistently building up and you're learning from the best. You're taking the right steps to kind of move your investing goals in the right space as well. So- yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit back when you were raising for your for your first deal, you know, after you sent that initial email out, and people started expressing interest in your deals. How was that conversation like with those investors, you know, being the first time that you were raising capital? um, What were some of the things that you had talked about? And then if you can give some advice?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing with people is to develop some rapport. Now, initially, when you first start raising those people, you probably know already. So you don't have to really develop that rapport. New people come to me. I always start asking basic questions. Who they are? Where they live? You know, what's their occupation? I'm also qualifying them because almost all our deals are accredited investors. So I have to. I want to kind of get up front with that accredited investor question. I don't like, hey, are you accredited? No. Who you are? Where are you from? What's your job? What's your role? I can kind of get a sense. I was talking to a guy this morning. He's like a surgeon, and he's already. And I asked him about their investing experiences, and he'd already had like six syndication deals. So I'm like, this person's accredited. Now I will ask him that just because I need to ask him that, but. Versus someone who's like, I've never invested in real estate before. I have a job doing this, and they're kind of like the jobs. I'm like, I'm not really sure there, but I still want to ask it up front. I want to continue to have a conversation, but I do want to make sure uh, this is right for them. So it's really more of a qualification thing in a gentle way, you know, five, 10 minutes, learning about their background. What is their investing experiences? Uh, Risk tolerance. What is a risk tolerance? Have they only invested in really super safe stuff, government bonds, uh, or, you know, a little bit of the stock market, but index funds, totally diversified now? First time in real estate, I start that conversation the first time in real estate, high level. What is a value-add investing in apartments? What is it? What is it? What are you talking about? You know, it's, I call it it's a slow flip, right? It's, you've seen the flipping houses show. and We're doing it like just a couple of years. It takes, and why does it take two years? Well, there's 200 units and you do like 10% of the time. And, and we, we don't renovate when people are living there. So we have to wait till they move out. So it's about a two-year process. But then we go out to the market. We try to sell it at that time, or we we'll refinance and get you some equity back, and hold on to it at a better time. So I kind of explain the process because most people have seen a flipping show, <laughs> right? Uh, I also want to touch on things from a risk perspective. I think it's important because, and we'll just talk about apartments. We do some other things, but the bread and butter for our, our business is apartments, value add investing, and the biggest thing I want I want to just uh, let investors know is that you know back in the crash of two thousand nine only one in 200 apartment owners had delinquency in paying their debt of 60 days or more. Only one in 200. And single family homes was almost you know, three, four or 5%. So if it's half percent for apartments and 4% for single family homes. Holy cow, does it mean that rental properties I own are eight to 10 times riskier? I'm like, I think that's what the data says. <laughs> um, numbers so don't
0: lie.
1: I have a chart and it's coming from Fannie Freddie. So it's a government source and it shows this big, you know, Here's your single family getting getting hit during 2009 and, and multi family is still straight, you know? And so I'm like, it's incredible. And I just saw the data point yesterday. Uh, it's only at 1%. So we got through COVID and only one out of 100 apartment owners. So if you can just take a nugget or so, just kind of frame it for people. Now, you can never guarantee, hey, anything can go wrong. If you have a bad operator, bad market. But then I tell them, well, you know, we bet our operator partners, we don't do any transactional deals. We, we stick to uh, good operators that know one or two markets, only stay in one niche. You're not trying to do three different niches like apartments, self-storage, mobile home park. They just do apartments. They just do apartments in Dallas for a long time before they decide to go into another market. So th- that reduces your risk right there. So I do want to talk a little bit about risk. I want to know what they're looking for and what is their goals? I guess the last thing Eileen is, what do they want to do? Are they looking for income, retirement, uh, looking for growth, most people want a little bit of both or mostly growth. But if people are nervous about this, where the markets are, if people are if nearing retirement and want some income to live on, then you know more discussion is going to be around the cash flow nature of these products and uh, maybe tax efficiency. I always want to talk about tax efficiency because they're very tax efficient. Does that help? No,
0: absolutely. That definitely helps a of lot. Course. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No. And so one of the things that you also mentioned earlier was um if you had a large investor, one of the first investors had that came to you said he was going to invest, you know, yes. the $500,000. Um what is some advice that you have around that and taking large investors?
1: Right. Well, I think the big thing is I have I call it the fifty percent rule. I think I actually made it up, but it sounded good, so I'm going with it. Uh, but the fifty percent rule is kind of like this: if someone came to me, and I would say, you know, anything over a hundred thousand. Most of our deals are fifty thousand minimum. If you're a return investor, you probably get in for twenty five. And I'm big on diversifying people. I'd rather see in ten deals with a few different operators, maybe a couple of different niches, and some different geographies. I'm trying to help you build a real estate portfolio. But if someone comes into with, with that kind of money, I do want to know about their background. Have they ever done real estate before? Because I'd really kind of talk them down if I could. But if they're just adamant, they've done some real estate, they just really love this deal, I would probably take half of that. And I'd say, listen, I, I'm going to hold 250000 for you as a soft commitment. And a soft commitment just means they've seen enough information on a deal, maybe a one-page deal alert. They saw, maybe listen to the conference call uh, from the sponsor, and they've gone through this investment summary deck to kind of get the business plan. They, so this looks really good. We haven't given them the offering documents, which is all the legal stuff. And, you know, but by the time they actually do sign that and fund it, that's kind of the end of the process. But there's this beginning process where I say, listen, um, and I'm realistic. I'm like, some of these deals go pretty fast. We don't have an infinite number of money to raise. We have a set number of money. And sometimes a sponsor will give me X amount. And I'm like, OK, as soon as that allotment's up, and it can happen over a weekend, as soon as that allotment's up. I can't help you. So what I try to encourage investors. This is a soft sales skill, but it's, it's reality. It's reality, and it's something that's important for capital raisers to know is that you're not you're you're not being unrealistic. On some of these deals, they do go fast. I don't want people spending three or four weeks analyzing this deal, and then there's no room for them. So what we talk about, I think, is a soft commitment. So over that first week or so, when you get all the basic information, uh, just let me know. We'll hold fifty thousand for you, or whatever you tell me. Your soft commitment. Not guarantee. Yes, if the ball's down in your court, you slow the process down. When when do you want to, t- you know, sign a PPM and fund it? It's usually two or three weeks later, so it buys you more time to think about it, get your spouse, family all aligned. But somewhere along the line, there, I really want to get uh, those commitments in there, and I will take maybe half of that. Five, if someone out said five hundred thousand, or most people, that's kind of a high number. But let's just say people want to say two hundred fifty thousand. Okay, that's still a pretty big number, and I would say. Why don't we take 125 of that or 150,000 of that and I'll put that as a soft commit? I'll put the other 100,000 on backup. I'm only doing that because I want to make sure I get my other investors who have been good return investors into the deal. So that's one strategy I want. But also, if that person at the last minute decides not to do the deal, I'm only scrambling to find a hundred to $150,000 replacement, not a $250,000 replacement. And um, I thought about that on that first deal. I haven't had too many people come in and say I want to put a boatload in, but I started thinking about that. I had a lot of pressure when he when that person left because I was like, "Man, I need to go get 10000 dollars." <laughs> so uh, I think it's just a good thing to know, uh, and it's healthy. You're not being dishonest with anybody. You're just you know being realistic that I want to get want to make sure there's plenty of room for my investments mm-hmm. in. I'm just, you know, it's the first time we're working together. Now, if someone I'm working with I've, is an investor that's done five or 10 deals with me, I probably will be fine with the 250, right? I'm, not, I'm probably going to be fine with that. But new investors, I'm always a little bit unsure, you know, they just mm-hmm. picking the tires and throwing out big numbers. I never really met them. So that's why I'm also more skeptical about that.
0: Oh, no, that's great. Especially because not only are you kind of making sure that, you know, you're able to close on the deals with the current investors that you right. have, but at the same time, you're putting the investors best place to, you know, just yeah. to kind of peace of mind, yeah. letting them, you know, mull it over, be sure that that's what they're wanting to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then just I getting in a good,
1: Yeah, Exactly. And I think a good cap raiser practice, if someone says, you know, once in a while, I'll get someone say 50, I don't know. I, I, I'm not pushing anybody to the hundred. I'm more in the 95. Almost all the time, I'm like, let's just start with the 50. Get you comfortable with this. See how you like the deals and how it works for you. How we communicate. Uh, are you getting the distributions that we talked about? Uh, there's going to be more deals. There's more opportunities. I'd rather see you, you know, build something logically and prudently, mm-hmm. than pushing someone to go higher. Even though I need the money, I'm like, it just doesn't really. It's not a good. You should always think long term with this investor. What's best for them? But like you said. Putting your investor's interests first is always the right thing to do.
0: Yes. And especially because you're also wanting to, you know, build these long-term relationships. It's That's not it. just a one and done.
1: That's it. It's a lot of work to onboard. I don't say a ton of work, but you know, there's a lot of time spent having that first call with them, educating what you're doing and you're sending them deal alerts and newsletters and keeping them informed. And, you know, you Like I said, 90% of this business is return investments or referrals. So that's just how powerful you thinking about a long-term relationship is.
0: Thank you. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about. Serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so, Dave, what is really next for you? What's your next focus?
1: Wow, great question. So, I recently decided to affiliate myself with a broker dealer out of New York, um, simply because we decided our business was growing enough, and there's uh, some other areas of the, that we'd like to show our investors that would require more of a uh, ensuring we're all licensed, and, and we're thinking about the compliance stuff with the SEC and all that. So, we decided, you know, we would go ahead and get. All uh, licensed up. So I'm now a principal with one of the firms called Phase One uh, Financial out of New York. And I love that partnership. They have more of an institutional focus. Our business is all retail focused. Uh, I do have a team that works with me. So we're involved with licensing them up. And uh, we forged a few new relationships uh, with some new partners. So we have our existing groups of operator partners. And now we're wanting to make sure that we have some different geographies covered. Uh, and then we do some different niches. We do a few alternative stuff like litigation, financing fund, a couple of things really off the grid that are non-correlating assets, but only we do a small number of that. I would say, Eileen, you know, we'll probably do eight to 10 deals a year, uh, which is pretty good. And a non-COVID year, it's probably, you know, 10 to 12 deals. And so we're really busy. I have to go to the properties and I bet them and walk them. I don't have to do any deals with any of these operators. It's a beautiful thing. I want my investors to know that I'm independent, I have my own business. Yes, we do have partnership relationships and we get very close to these people and, and we tend to do more deals with them than we don't deal with them. But at the same time, we never want to be a marketing arm of anybody. It uh, doesn't matter how great relationship I have with, with Joe and Astro. I'm like, I, I should be able to say, I didn't like this property, I just walked. I don't feel like it's the right fit for my investors. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to come to that conclusion too much. They tend to stick to the same you know, knitting, right? So, um, and I like to see them go into some new markets when it makes sense for their business, or you know, see how they evolve. But I also like to keep a few nuggets out there. I mean, by all, this is going to be maybe a little bit off the grid, but uh, like right now, we're looking at a Bitcoin mining farm. Yeah. You know? So, all I want to do is stay relevant with my investors. I want seventy-eight percent apartments all day long, a little bit of self storage, a little bit of mobile home parks. These are all recession-resistant, good long-term returns. You wouldn't believe this, but those those industries over 25 years are, have 2 x the S&P 500. But do they get any attention in the press? <laughs> Who knows it? You know, all day long, you get S&P 500. What it did over the last, because everybody's 401ks and IRAs, but did people don't even realize that those niches have outperformed the S&P 500 for the last 25 years, but like two times with far less volatility. If you go back and look at the 2009 crash, S&P 500, way down, and these industries... Are, you know, did not mean you lose any money, but not much money, right? So, and that's only if you sold, but we don't wanna sell these assets in the down market. So, if you just held on, you'd be fine. And they're throwing cash flow out and they have these tax efficiencies. So, our job is really to get out there and educate people. So, as, a, as my next path forward is, that, you know, we have a wonderful investor base. Uh, we're not saying no to new investors and we still love new investors, but we wanna make sure that we're helping people build a, 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 a holistic portfolio, primarily real estate assets with a few different things that they'll never hear about that are well researched uh, that may offer a little bit more juice. It's a little bit more risk perhaps on the spectrum, but you know, we're, we're certainly not advocating putting 50% of your money into it, right? We're, we're saying like, listen, if you've got a nice core, maybe you do a little bit here if you're interested, but we're all about apartments really as a core for most people and then kind of hold
0: it out from there no that's great it's great that you're doing a lot of the educations getting the word out there maybe if we talk about it enough you know more and more people will learn about these other um alternative ways to invest not just the stock markets the traditional path that we're all kind of
1: taught that's right absolutely
0: and dave so how has real estate investing uh impacted your life so far
1: Wow. We can just start from the own business perspective. Uh, I have the luxury of, of working out of my home now. You know, I've talked about if I need to get an office, but I've kept, I've kept the firm kind of a, a boutique. We have some people that help us and partner with us, but I love the flexibility of it. Uh, I lean the best. You know, I could basically block out a week and, and I've traveled all over the world with the business. I've, I raised money while I was in Dubai or Australia and not to interrupt my vacation. It's a kind of thing where I can get up in the morning, check a few emails, answer a few emails. After the day's over, if if I don't want to take anything, out, it's nothing unless it's urgent. But you have your smartphone. Some investors may text me. It's a quick answer. It's you know, just it's not where I need to sit down and, and really disrupt anything that I'm doing. I make up my own schedule for the most part. Uh, I have a calendar. People can invite and do a call with me, and basically they can see my calendar more. and so they can schedule stuff if I want to block out. My wife, for instance, today said, Well, you seem to have these calls at a certain time we like to do yoga. She's got this yoga thing. and I'm like, yeah, that's great. I like doing it. As I get older, and, you know, kind of keep limber and, and have balance and, and psychological aspects. So I'm all into it. But I started seeing people it disrupt my calories. So I, at this certain time of day, it's yoga. And I commit to it with her. And uh, you know, so I love that aspect. You know, when I work in the corporate America, you just, you know, you are at everybody's whim. And uh, so that's beautiful. I can travel anywhere. We, you know, my, I have a daughter who's in LA, by the way. She lives in Burbank. She's with us now because of COVID, but she works for Disney. And, you know, if we wanted to go hang out with her for a month and work out of some, you know, residence center or something, we, we could do that or stay with her and I can still do the job there. I'm not really, I can be anywhere. I can do the job anywhere. You really can do it all over the world. Um, the financial thing is, is incredible. I mean, having your own business and keeping your costs down. And then syndication business, if you get on the GP side, it's it's phenomenal. So my income and my lifestyle, um, you know, I'm a big, I'm just a big preacher of it. I'm not looking, for, it's a great question to ask because I think people want to know, what does that lifestyle do for you? Where well, you can do more volunteer work. You can get out in the community and do more things. And I think everybody needs that kind of assistance. You can think about things beyond just making an income. And I think I, work, I probably can work kind of part-time on it and make a full-time and more income and, you know, as a GP also, you're getting equity in these deals that are kind of deferred. So you get some compensation up front. do am not talking about that much on the show yet, but, you know, you get some uh, things I call keep lights on money. But if you're really making some good capital, it's darn good lights and strong lights, you know. But the back end, you know, most of the compensation for capital raises, 75, 80% is back end loaded. And you're invested with the, into the deal with your investors. And, you know once in a while, hey, we're getting ready to close a property. And like it's it's payday. You know, it's fantastic. And you get a bunch of these deals going and you're, you know, in the next two, three, or five years, you've got money coming in from these deals whenever they matriculate. So you're like, I like that, right? I don't feel like to get up every morning and do something to see where my income's coming from. A lot of it's deferred and these great assets that are growing and and you know providing more of a future income. So it's that's also kind of cool about it.
0: And what is one thing that you know about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started.
1: Well, I mean, I wish I would have got started earlier. <laughs> uh, but listen, I don't know. Some people say, well, because now you're around a lot of investors in the 40s and 50s that have money at the peak of their earning career, uh, maybe it's easier for risk capital. I, I think that's probably true. But listen, I meet a lot of, uh, of folks that are younger that can, can do very well at it. Um, so I would just say if you're, if you're kind of getting started, I think we've, we've talked about it already on the show. Do a lot of research, uh, read a lot, get yourself exposed to some of the people who are making things happen, get around them. If you're going to get some mentoring or something like that, but learn from the experts because a lot of people try to do it on their own, cut corners, I don't have the money or whatever. Well, go do something, save some money and get in a good course, get in a good program and then try to try to work with these people in some form or fashion, even if it doesn't give you any income to do that, Helping them in any form or fashion. You hear that a lot, but I, I think that's great. Um and the other thing I would advocate—we talked a little bit about it—was the thought leadership stuff. So, you, if you want to, you know, make a difference, you know, you can read articles or have experiences. You can read or have experiences. And when I started out, I started blogging and answering questions on Bigger Pockets in their apartment forum. And I got a ton of investors that way. And it's still today, never one out of every two people, new people that come to me. I'm like, I always mention, where did you hear from me? And they always go, about one of two will say a I, I solid article on bigger pockets or something. I have literally have not been in bigger pockets very much in the last couple of years. My business just grew. And like I said, most of my investors are coming from return and referrals. But you know, I'm I'm like, if you're new, like I coach and mentor new people in the business, and I'm like, get in there, go find areas you don't. It may be counterintuitive, but um, well, you know, people first think when you are starting a business, uh, where do people have money? And maybe not so much that. It's mer- it's where people are talking about real estate investing. <laughs> that would be a good place to start. Bigger Pocket certainly has done a good job of that, but a variety, wide variety of channels, and then find out what's working for you. Where am I getting them? But I would say just get into these forums, get, get where people are talking about real estate, find out who some of the experts are. And then before long, it didn't take me long to all of a sudden I started realizing I'm answering questions. On my first raise, I'll leave you with this. On my first raise, uh, which was a million bucks, and Joe says, wow, that's pretty good. And I'm like, after coaching and mentoring a lot of people, it's, I don't want to brag, but it's darn good. Like, I didn't think about people, a couple hundred thousand, if you get a couple five hundred thousand, that's fantastic. And you quickly build from there. But I mean, it's a fire of the gate. So I knew there was something here that resonated. And he said, I got on a podcast like you. He said, well, someone just happened to send me something, a guy named Kevin Bupp. And Kevin goes, I'll, I'll, I'll interview you. The interview went two hours. And so we had to have two shows. And all I, Joe told me to do was, why don't you just document what you learned on your first deal? And I put 10 things I learned in my first deal. We did a podcast. He says, now go to Upworks. I'm like, what's Upworks? It's a freelance place. I'll do projects for you for like a 100 bucks. So this I got a 29-page transcript of that two-hour podcast. I'm like, Joe, what am I going to do with this? No one read 29 pages. No, that's a book. And I'm like, you're kidding me. That's a book? I had a friend of mine that published books, and she put some pictures in. We added a few things and organized some chapters. And literally in a month, we had an e-book. And it's still on my website today. It's called How I I Raised a Million Dollars in Two Weeks. And it, I could have put it in a hard copy. I could have got it on Amazon. I mean, I just didn't go that far with it. I have another book that I kind of did more with that called Riches and Niches. It's up there. And that's about the niches that we had. But what did that example talk tell you about? There's, I like to talk about leverage. So I took one experience, one raise. It doesn't have to be a million dollars. I raised two or three thousand. Here's my experience raising my first. Who cares? One experience, I turned it into a, uh, I, could have, I could have done a podcast show with anybody, including yourself, that gets me out there. I turned it into an ebook. I did a blog on it, put it on bigger pockets. So I took one I one experience and leveraged it four different ways. And so that's another people get challenged. What do I write about? What do I do? Even if it's not an experience, read an article, synthesize three articles on why I love apartments, put it in a search, get a get a blog, do a three to five minute tip video, put it out there in your social media. Uh, That's what I would say. Get out there. Start educating other people even before you start thinking maybe about how to make money in the business. (laughs) Be a thought leader. That's what it's all about. Be a thought leader. Pretty soon people will be, you know, wanting to learn more about what you're doing.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Dave. That's really, really great advice. And, you know, a lot of times what you're saying content is a little bit hard to think about, but if you're able to, you know, already utilize what you have in your existing um, I guess, portfolio, you know, you can always exactly. repurpose that and use that a couple of different ways and right. build off from there.
1: Exactly. You got it. You got it.
0: And so can you share if you have any tools or techniques that you have used to improve the efficiency of your life or your business?
1: Oh, that's great. And I don't come, it's funny because I did work in high tech for a long time. And I always my wife would sometimes look at me and like, you're in high tech, like, <laughs> like the most tech savvy person. Um, one of my daughters actually got an IT a degree, so it's kind of interesting. And they're much more savvy than I am. But uh, I try to keep my tool for my business simple. I um, mean, you'd be surprised how far you can get with just like an Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> but you, you do need like a CRM, I think we call it a, a relationship management tool. I, I don't even, I'm telling you, the people that are listening that those sales and stuff will say, oh, those much more powerful tools, Salesforce, and all this good stuff out there. I still use MailChimp. I mean, it's it's easy for me. I mean, a lot of projects and an organized list. Uh, you can use it for, you know, sending very professional looking reports to investors like monthly or quarterly updates. I do my newsletter through there. So it keeps distribution lists of all your investors and you can categorize them by prospects or accredited or, you know, by deal that they're involved in. So if I'm sending a report, I can click on that and there goes a the report. So that's about as far as And I have an investor portal. If you get into the business that I'm in, investors like to see, uh, you know, the progress on their investments. So we track all of our investments in our portal for all our investors. And although our portal is not linked to all the other portals for the operators, um, we can quickly, because I'm investing in all the deals, I can quickly update the distribution percentage and amounts for all investors in a deal very quickly with my uh, portal. And, uh, and that's IDR, it's Investor Deal Room. I got involved with Investor Deal Room and from their inception. I just talked to the owner the other day. He goes, "You were the first paying client." I was like, "I felt," really for that. but uh, that that program continues to evolve. But I think investor portals look really cool on your website. People are like, "Man, you look really professional." You're managing my investments, even though they're with technically with different operators. Uh, we're helping them aggregate that and get a one-stop shop. So my business being boutique is looking professional, acting professional, creating great customer experience. Always investors can always talk to me like, I don't want this huge staff where you can't talk to me. I I, like if If you can't can't talk to me, then it's too big a business. (laughs) Then I'm not, then I'm not going to be able to live the lifestyle that I want. That's that's the thing. I'm trying to try to find that perfect balance.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for sharing, Dave. And so, um, you also mentioned you wrote, you know, riches and niches. And if our listeners went out, wanted to find out more about you, what you do and your book, where can they go?
1: Yeah, great. So uh, we have uh, a couple of books on the website. One is the one we talked about earlier, Raising Capital. And the other one was more investor-focused. But Most of our, all of our investors I want to talk to are mostly passive. They're looking for a passive experience. So Riches and Niches, you can download at thompsoninvesting.com. Just scroll down to the bottom of the front page and you can download that. And we'll uh, it'll, it'll capture some information from you if you're interested in following up with us and learning more about what we do and exposing yourself to some opportunities that we're involved with and love to talk to. You. And then we also do, we have a capital raising course put together last fall. Uh, I, I really uh, like uh, mentoring people in the space. So, uh, you know, mention that if you reach out to us, if you're interested in more about that, um, uh, we can certainly get you involved in those programs.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate everything that you shared today.
1: Fantastic. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to BonifaceCapital.com and fill out the Contact Us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.